The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome to the Friday edition of Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is the one, the only, the hood rat from Mount Hood, the Sasquatch herself, Tammy, the girl. Underwood. Say hi, Tam. Hi, everybody. Hood rat. I was like, you know what? <laughs> I'd have a ghetto card, but don't call me a hood rat. And then you said Mount Hood, so I was like, okay. That was the best one I can come up with offhand. Yeah. Like, for real, they, man. You because, know, like on the fly. Yeah, because like I'm, I'm half retarded on a good fucking day. So there we go. <laughs> You know. And these last couple of days, you're just full on. <laughs> I tell you, the last couple of days, and I think it's because I was dehydrated. Like, for real, like, the last two days I've been, God, I feel like shit, and I don't know why. Yeah, you've been in that fog. Yeah, and then I drank a, 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 a no-sugar Gatorade because I'm right, diabetic. Right, right. And now I really, I feel right as rain. Yeah. Like, I got up this morning, I started prepping my breakfasts for, for all the next week. Yeah, that's and- what woke me up was the bacon. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to tonight because I did those lamb shanks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Smoked lamb shanks. I'm going to do some some rice with it. Going to do a nice Greek salad. But my take on it, which has bacon in it, because, you know, bacon goes with everything. Bacon is the perfect food. <laughs> yeah. And if no, you're a vegetarian or a vegan, I am so sorry for you. Because You've never tasted it. <laughs> you, you, yeah. But I'll live an extra 10 years. Yeah, an extra 10 Miserable rotten, years. Miserable, <laughs> baconless years. What the hell's wrong with you? All right, boys and girls, so today is part two of Colin Ireland, or as I, as his moniker is that I love, Gay Slayer. I was going to say, yeah, don't forget your little, your little thing, dude. I am so stuck on that, and I have been telling everybody about it. I know, yeah. Well, you go around saying, you know, <laughs> that he's from an 80s rock band. I even tell my gay friends about it. I'm like, you guys got to listen to this one. Why? Because it's Gay Slayer. <laughs> That's right. Oh, my God. All right. So let's get into part two of Colin Ireland, the Gay Slayer. Well, yeah, kind of to recap, though, he was kind of an ordinary man that only did petty crimes. So there was that. Yeah. To survive because he was homeless. Right. He was homeless and, you know, kind of a fucked up childhood. Yeah. No skills. No. Yeah. Yeah. Negative skills. <laughs> okay, so right around the time the the world rang in uh, the new year in 1993, Colin was filled with rage um, and anxious to take action. Uh, up until then, Colin would have been characterized as a petty criminal. Mm-hmm. His prison stretches weren't any longer than, you know, one and a half to two years at most. And it didn't matter how quick the uh, the revolving door of his prison stays turned. That's That's just, you know. It was yeah. like, it, to me, it almost seemed like it was his part-time home, like I said in the first oh, episode. Yeah. Well, actually more of a full-time home, but yeah. Well, yeah, it's like, hey, I'm I'm leaving prison on a little vacay. I'll be back. <laughs> I'll be back in like a few months. Yeah, on a holiday. Mm-hmm. He went and had to make a dramatic change. He knew. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I can't read. He knew he had to make a dramatic change. Colin wanted to make a difference and a name for himself. He no longer wanted to be a petty criminal or a gentle giant like myself. He wanted to be known as something far bigger. I'm big. Don't be getting known as me, motherfucker. (laughs) Something no one would ever expect from him. Right. So he made a vow to himself and the universe that he was going to be famous one day. 
It was that attitude that led to a surprising New Year's resolution in 1993. Colin Ireland was going to become a serial killer. Yeah, he actually made the conscious choice. See, and that's interesting yeah. to me because I don't think people make the conscious choice to go, hey, I'm going to be a serial killer yeah, most no of the time. Yeah, some of them just, they fall into that because of their pattern and their, you know what I mean? Right. The violence and stuff and their uh, evolution. Right, right, right. Yeah. But here he is. I'm changing my career path. I'm not going right. to steal or anything like that. I'm going to be a serial killer. I'm going to straight up kill. He's straight out of Compton, I guess. Yeah, like Bobby Joe Long, remember? He was the serial rapist until one day he, he was just looking at this girl he was raping and killed her. Right, right, right. Yeah. He's all, I'm going to have a higher body. I'm going to have a body count that should be on a Tupac album. <laughs> you like that one? I gave yeah. you a little freebie there. Who shot there? me? <laughs> <laughs> he thought it was a perfect idea. After all, he'd already had a fascination with serial killers. Oh, fuck. Yes. So do I. I. You know, so do I. I have for a long time, since I was a teenager. I think I'm going to change my career path. <laughs> become a serial I'm killer. I'm going to become a serial killer. Yeah. In fact, he has spent many long hours painstakingly studying the habits and methods of other known serial killers of the time. Yep. So, Colin became very familiar with how investigators and uh, geographic profiling, I uh, used geographic profiling to help him find killers. Mm-hmm. According to experts, a serial killer would generally commit their crimes within a certain radius around the location where they live in. Yeah, live and work, yeah. Right. Generally, that radius is right around seven, it's seven to ten miles is what it is, uh, from their right. house or, you know, and, and, and fanning outward. Right. You know, or the place that they're comfortable with. So, like, if they worked in a factory, and let's say it's in town B. Right. And that's where they're the most comfortable. Right. It becomes a routine. Right. That's how Wesley Allen Dodd got caught because he dumped his bodies, like, within minutes from where he worked. Right. Right, yeah. right. So, in order to throw authorities off, he knew he had to operate outside of the approximate seven-mile radius where he was living. He decided that since he was living in South on Sea... South End. Oh, that's the South End? Yeah. I can't wait till I get my new glasses, I swear to God, which I already ordered, but... So, he was living in South End Sea... He would hunt his victims and commit his murders in London, which was approximately 40 miles west of his residence at the time. And that's brilliant. Yeah, that's, that's, that's like way awesome out of that zone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because on the blog, I'll have like a little uh, blurb about it, about geographical profiling. And I actually use the Green River Killer, for example. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's that's actually... That's, I hate to give him kudos, but fuck, Gay Slayer, you rock, man. Yeah, right? It's like, okay, you know... <laughs> Check number one. You're on a path right here. So let's talk about his first kill, boys and girls. There are of West London. There are of West the, London. What? I, I can't remember. Anyway. Oh, West London. The area. Oh, okay. Uh, the area of West London had grown uh, a solid reputation among members of the gay community like me. Yeah. Super Everyone knew that they had to do... Uh, all they had to do was to hang out in an area for a little while, and they were sure to find a hookup for the night. Yeah. The hottest place for such activities was a, was by far... The Colharney Pub. Is that what that says? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you'll, you, you, you even highlighted it, and I'm looking well, at it I'm going, is that Copenhagen? I'm highlighting it because I, that's where I'm going to put a link, so... Oh. Yeah. Anyway, now called the Pembroke, mm -hmm. located at 261 Brockhampton... Road. Brompton, not Compton. Oh, Brompton. Straight <laughs> out of Brompton. 
<laughs> King's Court. Our frequent listeners might recall hearing about the pub on our shows before. That's because it's where one of uh, one of the places that Dennis Nielsen would often hang out. I don't remember it actually. Oh, really? Yeah, that's where he hung out. You know, because he was a homosexual man. No, no, I, I remember doing the episode. Yeah. Because I enjoyed Nielsen a lot. Uh, yeah, because I had to read him because you had lost your voice and I didn't read it in advance and I was like, yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed it a lot, uh, but I just don't remember the name of the club. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you want to catch up on that episode, it aired on March 4th of 2022 and it's episode 165. Yep. Punters, the British slang term for Johns. Oh, why don't they just call him Johns? Well, because British have weird names for everything. Yeah, that's true. The lift. Any hoosies. Yeah, that's true. They they, they can be found lining the blocks. Yep. They're like, hey, little boy. Mm-hmm. $20. Uh, they were all wearing various colored handkerchiefs uh, somewhere on their person. That's how they knew they were a John. Yeah. Each different color signaled a potential partner what sexual proclivities they were into. It made cruising, uh, a, a, the cruising area so much easier because it eliminated a lot of misunderstandings. Yeah. It's actually a brilliant idea, too. Actually, it is. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. like seriously, if you're looking for a sexual partner, whether it's male or female, and you yeah. and if you're wearing, let's say, uh, I don't know, a purple uh, right. handkerchief, you know, you'd be, okay, this guy likes to have his ass spanked. Yeah, well, and a lot of it was like they would wear certain colors, like to indicate whether they were a top or a bottom, into S and M or just you know what I mean, that kind of stuff. Right, which it goes to always uh, next. Anyway, Colin was approached by forty-five-year-old Peter Walker, a choreographer. You missed a whole paragraph. No, I did too. Huh? Yeah. Shortly after making his New Year's resolution, Colin started hanging out at the Colhern frequently. Colherny. Anyway, Colhern. <laughs> They should be silent. I'm just saying. Once he got a feel for the atmosphere on March 8th of 1993, it was time for his first kill. He decided to pose as a top, which that means that he's the one who's given the loving and not receiving it. That's right. Like he's not taking it in the butt or anything. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's yeah, just for lack of better terminology. I don't judge anybody. No, but. Which is the term for a dominant master partner in BDSM. It didn't take long for the new serial killer to find his first unsuspecting victim. Dun, right. dun, dun. So, now we get into always be prepared. Yep. See, Colin should have been a fucking Boy Scout. He should have been. He would have learned yeah. this because I was in Scouts as a teenager. Were you really? I was for like a couple of years because my stepdad decided that me and my brother Phil needed to be Boy Scouts. Because oh, well. he was a Boy Scout when he was a kid. Well, there you go. You know, always be prepared. Yep. Colin was approached by a 45-year-old Peter Walker, a choreographer. Peter liked to be a bottom. Hey, that works out good for tops, mm-hmm. right? The submissive slave partner in BDSM. A good match for Colin's top. Soon after their introduction, the two men left the pub and went straight over to Peter's apartment, located in Battersea, Wadsworth. Wadsworth. Close enough. <laughs> in the South London District. I was just thinking he's taking a wad, so. Yeah, there you go. Once they arrived there, thinking he was going to uh, be engaging in some foreplay, Peter willingly let Colin tie his hands and legs to a large four-poster bed with straps of cord. I would do that. I want a four-poster bed because that sounds hot. Not like with with Colin by any means, but like, you know, 
with with my girlfriend or any other female that wants yeah. to come over. Yeah, be, I'd be a okay with that. <laughs> right. Oh man. So um, after that, Colin knotted up a few uh, condoms and shoved them into Peter's mouth to gag him. Peter soon found out that Colin wasn't really into foreplay when the man became exceedingly violent. Totally. After his intense search on previous serial killers, research on previous serial killers, Colin knew he should always be prepared with a with a fully equipped murder kit. Yeah, which is true. It is like like for real, man. Yeah, don't, don't fuck around with yeah. it. Yeah, well, yeah, because be yeah, because um, Israel Keys had several all over the U.S. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now that was a that's a Boy Scout motherfucker right there. No shit, yo. <laughs> anyway, his his kit was stocked with some extra cord. Good idea. Yep. A pair of gloves. Bitchin' idea. It's yep. very, very good. A sharp knife, of course. Yep. And a fresh change of clothes. Brilliant. Brilliant, yes. Brilliant. No, you know what? You know what, Gay Slayer? I, yeah, I, I he was prepared. Say, I, I, I respect him because he thought it out. Mm-hmm. Totally. Not totally. for what he did because I'm against, you know, seriously murdering anybody unless right. they really deserve it. But... Unlike a lot, some of our serial killers, at least he thought this shit out. He went, okay, oh, yeah. this is what I need to do. This is where I need to go. This yep. is going to be my victim pool. Yep. He planned it. He did. Meticulously. Yeah. I respect that. Mm-hmm. So that's his good. Unlike Carla Hamolka. True. Unlike some other ones out and there. And some of the other ones. Yes. I, I, I actually have a little bit of respect for this one. Yep. Now that he had his victim completely helpless, he took a dog leash and lead and one of Peter's own belts and began to beat the man viciously. Eventually, he gave up with the leash and the belt and just used his fist. Yes. Ooh, God. Pummeled him. Ooh, that's... I still kind of admire that, and let me tell you why. That's a lot of fucking work. Right. Like, for real. Because you're going to need a nap after that. I would need a nap. Yeah, like, totally. I need a nap when I go outside and like walk my, to the mailbox, or even use my smoker oh. <laughs> to smoke meats. I'm like, Fuck, I yeah, need a time for a nappy poo. Nappy poo going on if you drink your drinks, right? Then, right when he reached the pinnacle of his rage, this is usually a serial killer's vision, a version of a having uh, yeah, a climax. Yeah. He grabbed a plastic bag, slipped it over Peter's head, and held it firmly in place. He didn't relax his grip until Peter stopped struggling and breathing. All things considered, it was a highly successful first kill for a new serial killer. And yep. I agree with that 100%. Yep. I mean, shit, dude thought it out. It's a good kill. Mm-hmm. He, no blood. And he, he he contained the situation. He did. What we find with a lot of our, for our, our first kills for serial killers is that they don't contain that situation. Right. It's very, it's very Messy unorganized. Yeah. But... Colin, dude. Yeah. Respect, brother. Like, fuck. I don't think I could have been that organized. So once Peter was dead, Colin decided he wasn't quite finished playing with his victim. For some reason, he had an intense desire to burn Peter's pubic hair so that he could smell it. Yeah, burning hair smells nasty. That's gnarly. I burnt my hair many times when I had super long Uh, hair. Me too. I fucking set my bangs on fire one day. (laughs) <clears throat> Brutal, man. Yeah. After that, he went around the apartment cleaning up after himself. Brilliant. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. My God. I honestly think I'm falling 
in love with a new serial killer for me. Yep. Yep. It was Patrick. And Pat, if you're hearing this, you are still the love of my life for serial killers. I actually refer to Patrick a little later, but yeah. But Colin, homie, goddamn brother. Yeah. No shit, yo. That's, I'm impressed. I'm just saying. He wanted to make sure that there uh, wouldn't be any trace of his presence to connect him with the murders, given that was a good idea considering his prints were already on record with the authorities. Well, yeah, because he's been in prison a yep. few times. That's kind of that's a given, man. Yep, yep. Listeners, if you didn't figure that shit out, fuck. Yeah. Got problems, man. While he was going through Peter's stuff, Colin discovered that his victim was HIV positive, which he did not disclose up front. Which I think is shitty. That is. And honestly, not disclosing that and you're taking a sexual partner and this doesn't yeah. matter gay, straight or whatever. Peter, you deserve to die. Yeah, yeah, because that is like, I mean, a lot of people, HIV positive people, it's been proven that if they don't disclose that they're HIV positive, they can be charged with attempted murder. Uh, yeah, because it's, I, I, I read a whole entire thing about mm-hmm. that. Because you're, you're essentially, you're, you're giving somebody what could be a death sentence. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> this little tidbit of information infuriated Colin so much, he decided to humiliate Peter. I don't blame him. He took a condom and shoved it so far up Peter's mouth, it lodged in his throat. Then Colin grabbed another one and jammed it up his nostrils. Yep. I don't blame him. Yeah. Like, seriously. Yeah, he, I mean, and I don't blame him for being mad either, because like I said, he didn't disclose it. So. I mean, I don't, I don't condone serial killing and stuff like that, but this Peter asshole, yeah. who's HIV positive, knew he was, because that's how he found out. He found HIV stuff, yep. you know, the tree's HIV. Didn't disclose that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude. No, Peter, you got what what was coming to you. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm dead serious. You could have potentially given many people Yeah, a... and who says he didn't already give many yeah. people that? Yeah. Exactly. So I'm not crying over Peter's bullshit Yeah, right now. me neither, really. However, the killer still wasn't finished. He grabbed two of Peter's stuffed teddy bears and placed them next to Peter's lifeless body. What did the teddy bears ever do, Colin? Come on. I like stuffed animals, though. Well, he didn't destroy them, but oh, he kind of like, yeah. That still didn't quite satisfy him, so he arranged them into position so they appear that they were engaging in 69. Okay, I would do that. I've <laughs> done that in fucking stores, okay? I, you know what? I believe you. There is a, there, there's no shame in that game, okay? I have done that many times, especially around Valentine's Day. <laughs> a lot of Valentine's Bear gets some 69. And because, they get some action? Hey, I'm just trying to give people some ideas, man. Yeah. But what's the greatest gift you can give for Valentine's Day? Oral. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have a high fucking sex drive. You, it's not you do. My it's fault. not a secret. Like I wake up in the morning, and I'm I keep it. I'm almost fifty. I turned forty nine this year. No, you do. And I thought that my sex drive would diminish. Yeah, because it does around this age. Yeah. Yeah, around well, 35, 40, you know, something like that. Here I am. My sex drive is higher than when I was a teenager, by and large. Oh, yeah. I mean, I do have some bad days where I sit there and go, hey, no, I'm not interested. But 99% of the time, I wake up, my pecker's looking at me going, good morning, Mr. Scott. And I go, well, good morning, Mr. Penis. He goes, I'm going to go See, make us breakfast. you were out last night. <laughs> yeah. What's all the stamps about? And why is why do I have credit card receipts? That's none of your business, Scott. <laughs> just pay your bills. <laughs> <laughs> just, just live with it. <laughs> just live with it. We had a little party party last night while you were snoozing. <laughs> So Colin was a little concerned that if he left Peter's apartment right away, 
it would look suspicious to the neighbors. So he decided it would be better if he stuck around until the next morning. Sometime after dawn, he walked out of Peter's apartment and hopped on a train headed for South, uh, South, End, South End on the Sea. That's hard to fucking say. South End on Sea, yeah. God damn. Get a real fucking name. Well, you know, it's usually something Shire, so yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. But that's even if I see Shire, then I just think Hobbits. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> me too. He inconspicuously blended in with all the other early morning commuters on their way to work. And yeah, that's true. I mean, yep. can you tell me, like, if, if you're commuting to work, who's driving next to you? Oh, or no, not at all. Even if you're taking public transportation? Mm-hmm. No. Nobody gives a shit. You're concerned about fucking getting to work. You know, and, and maybe even dreading it. Going, God, I got to deal with these assholes again. Yep, yep. Happens to me. Once he was on the train, Colin went into one of the restrooms, took the clothes, shoes, and gloves that he had worn at the crime scene and tossed them out the window. He made sure to do it while he was still within the London transport system boundaries. That would, uh, that would become one of the many precautions he took after he killed his prey. To mislead the authorities. Once again, brilliant, buddy. Yep. Holy totally, shit. Totally. I'm hoping this motherfucker's alive. Because, like, for real, I'm writing him a letter, like, today. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I want to talk to this man. Because out of all of our serial killers, this dude's good. Yeah. Like, yeah. He, like I said, he planned everything out meticulously. Like, if you're looking at serial killers on 1 to 10, the best that I've seen right now is 7 or an 8. Yep. You know, and then, of course, there's, like, Lucas and Tool, and they're, like, negative (laughs) 5. Like, don't even feel sorry for any of the victims. Dude, Lucas and Tool are going to, like, take over the universe. Remember? I am so watching that. I'm getting the Paramount Challenge just so I can watch that. Yep. That's the whole reason why I'm getting it. Um, But this dude here is serious. He's a solid 10. Yeah. You know, nine ten. I like, he got caught obviously because he's on our show, but right. nine for getting caught, but ten prior to getting caught. This yeah. dude, Colin, is Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. This is this this is the man that all serial killers should seriously be looking up to. Yeah, totally. Because the rest of you are some fake ass bitches compared to yeah. this guy. Exactly. So before Colin tr- uh, tied Peter to the bed and murdered him. He had taken the man's dogs and locked them in uh, in one of the other rooms of the apartment. Sometime later in the afternoon, either along the route or after he returned home, Colin placed a, quote, courtesy call to uh, the Sam- Sam- Samaritans, let to the Samaritans, fuck, letting them know about the dogs. He wanted to make sure that they were rescued uh, from captivity. I like that. Yep. However, after Colin was arrested, many people speculated that he made the call in an effort to make sure someone would inadvertently discover Peter's body and alert the authorities. Hey, either way, yep. either way, he got he, he he didn't leave the dogs. He didn't to kill die, them either, and he didn't kill the dogs. Yep. So, any of you that are sitting there speculating that no, it was just to do this or that, you know what? Piss off, the man. Yeah, he, he made sure those dogs were taken care of. Exactly. And what's he going to do for Peter's already dead. Yeah. Okay. And one of two ways he's going to get discovered. He's either going to get discovered because of a bad smell yep. and missing, or people are going to find him when they go rescue the dogs. Either way, he he thought of the dogs. He used the dogs. Yep. So get up off my boy's back on that shit. Yep. When the authorities found Peter's body, 
they only found a scarce amount of evidence, hardly enough to proceed with the with a strong investigation. Considering how Peter's body was displayed, they assumed that he was involved in some BDSM play and that it had gotten out of control. So they started searching for more leads within the gay community. Yep. Which is that's brilliant because yep. they're not even looking at our boy Colin. No, not at all. They're keeping it local. Yeah. Law enforcement law enforcement officials tried asking questions around the local gay hangout. Hey, are you sparkly? <laughs> However, everyone they spoke to wasn't very forthcoming with the information. There, there's two reasons for this, yep. by the way. The authorities already had a poor reputation throughout the gay community because they frequently ignored reports of abuse and crime among gay neighbors neighborhoods. and neighborhoods. Yep. The, uh, the day that Colin went hunting for his first victim, one day before Patrick's body existed. Is it Peters? Yes. God damn, I'm thinking of Patrick Kearney. I know. I'm all naked over here. Thinking <laughs> of Pat- oh, was that too much? That was out loud? Too, my too bad. Too much information. That was, that was, that was so, so yeah, my bad. My pants are down around my ankles. It's good. Maybe a little bit. Here. <laughs> anyway, before Peter's body was discovered, a new law had gone into effect. This law made it illegal for consenting adults to engage in BDSM play. You know what? Fuck you, England, for yeah. that altogether. They're consenting. What part of that yeah. are you fucking missing? Right, exactly, exactly. Because proper BDSM play, we talked about it before, there's always a safe word so nobody gets truly hurt. Right, no, exactly. You know, and the whole thing there is consenting. Yeah. Consent. You know, it's not, you know, it's just fucking stupid. Yeah, totally. I, I hate it when people push their personal beliefs. Yeah, and making it illegal. Yeah, and make it so you can't have any fucking fun time because we think that it's wrong. Hey, you think that it's wrong? I want to get on my soapbox for a minute. Okay. If you think that doctor-assisted suicide is wrong, don't have a doctor-assisted suicide. If you think that abortion is wrong, don't have an abortion. If you think that gay marriage is wrong, don't have a gay marriage. Right. Leave people the fuck alone. Exactly. Exactly. Because I'll tell you guys something, you know, and everybody else. What I do in the privacy of my own bedroom is yeah. my fucking business. Or behind, yeah, in my own home. Period. Yeah. And, we'll, and and whatever you do, our, our dear listeners, behind your closed doors, that's your business. Right. I want nothing to do with that. Well, I might, but I don't know who most of you are. So, yeah, there you go. But uh, unless I'm invited in, it has nothing to do with me at freaking all. Exactly, exactly. You know, if you like fucking hanging upside down like a bat and having your butt paddled with a noodle, that's your <laughs> fucking business, man. Has nothing with to do a wet noodle. That's right. Just. I, he just gets so irritated with the with the new laws that are in effect. Yeah. You know, trying to control people's actions. And while, okay, like the abortion thing. Here's my thing. While some people view it as, you know, hey, you're killing babies and blah, 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 and it's against God. Other people, you're, you're forcing your ideology onto other people who True. may not feel the same way. Now, for me, I, you know, um, abortion's not right for me. Right. Even before I had a vasectomy. However... What everybody else does is none of my damn business. True. So I had to get a drink of water. Okay. 
Okay, I'm off my soapbox now. Sorry, boys and girls, this is a long goddamn episode. It is kind of, yeah. knock it off with that shit. Therefore, <clears throat> none of the gay men were willing to come forward with any information that would help law enforcement officials. After all, they might reveal something that would result in them getting arrested and prosecuted. Which is true. Yeah. You know, well, you know, fucking Peter's over here like BDSM just like I do. Oh, sir, assume the position. You're going to jail. Yeah. Precisely. So he's calling goes out trolling for another victim because, of course, he's got yeah. this shit planned out. He probably even has a calendar and a schedule. Probably. Colin waited approximately two months after killing Peter to go trolling for his next victim. By that point, he had an overwhelming need to commit another murder. Yep. Which makes sense. Yeah, which is common in serial killers. Oh, very much, yeah. Because uh, yeah. now it's become a routine and it, it releases specific endorphins that make yep. you feel good. There's actually a, a biochemical reason for it. Yeah. On May 28th of 93, he returned to the Colherney. Is that better? Yes. Fuck. Pub to hunt. I'm on the hunt. <laughs> After you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm hungry like the wolf. Yes. <laughs> this time he, approached, he, he was approached by 37-year-old Christopher Dunn, a local librarian. After introducing himself, Christopher informed Colin that he was into being dominated. It didn't take very long before they were headed to Christopher's flat located in... Weldstone. Is that what that says? Yeah. It looks like Weald. That's why yeah. I stopped. Wealdstone Harrow, a borough of, uh, in London center. Mm-hmm. Once the two men were there, they sat down to watch an uh, S&M flick. That's Bondage Boys and Girls. Very okay, much like, so. You're good. After it ended, Colin turned to Christopher and suggested he go into the bedroom and get ready. When Colin walked to, into Christopher's room, the man was completely nude, with, a, uh, with, the, with the exception of his uh, studded body harness and belt. Kind of hot. I, I know, one. right? I want one of those. Uh, I'm surprised you don't have one. Actually, me too. A little <laughs> bit. Colin repeated the modus operandi he used uh, when he murdered Peter. Somewhat. He told Christopher to lie on the uh, bed face down. Since Christopher didn't have any bedposts, he resorted to binding the man's feet together and securing his hands behind his back with a pair of handcuffs. Kinky. Yeah. I wonder if they were fluffy. I want fluffy cuffs. I know. Pink fluffy cuffs. Now I got to do some ordering. I used to have a little set, you know, the little trinket set because my friend bought me one because, you know, she was weird. Now I got to do more shopping from Adam and Eve. They love me. Uh, you have a loyalty card there, don't you? I do. <laughs> they know me quite well. Yep. Because I got a little bit of a collection. Oh, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, hmm. they send me little things like, Scotty, you haven't ordered anything re recently. Are you okay? Yeah. Like, if you're in the hospital, we want to come visit you because people yep. are retired on what you've spent. <laughs> right. Once Christopher was dead. Colin... No, virtually helpless. Oh. You're on. You well, skipped a paragraph. Did it skip on me? No, you did. Oh, no, you're right. My bad. I'm sorry. I thought... Oh, Jesus. After Christmas... After Christmas. After Christopher was virtually helpless, Colin brutally beat and tortured him. This time, while Christopher was still very much alive, Colin took out a lighter and held it to his victim's testicles. Yep. When he reached his, quote, climax... He stuffed enough pieces of cloth into Christopher's mouth and throat to suffocate him 
to death. Yep. Jesus, my nuts are burning already. I know, right? Could you imagine? A moment of silence for Christopher. Like, for real, man. Just a moment of silence for him and his nuts. Yes. Ah, damn. Buddy. He had chestnuts roasting on open fire. God, Christopher, dude, no, you didn't even deserve that little librarian, dude. Yeah. So once Christopher was dead, Colin decided he should get paid for killing him. After all, when one commits a murder... They inevitably incur some expenses. Yep. Hey, rope's they have to not get that cheap. kill kit stopped. That's right, man. Gloves cost money. Rope costs money. That's right. Not to mention, at the time, he was relying on state benefits to survive since he was not employed. Therefore, he figured he should be reimbursed for his efforts. Eh, I like a man who wants to start his own small business. <laughs> Before murdering Christopher, Colin ordered his victim. To hand, to hand over his ATM card, making sure that he also got the PIN number. Before leaving the flat, he went around the house and removed any evidence that he had been there at the scene of the crime. Then, he again stayed long enough to avoid drawing anyone's attention. Good moves, yep. good moves, consistency. Well, see, and it was this part of his modus operandi that had the press saying that he murdered his victims and slept with their bodies. He never did that. Yeah, so, no, he just well thinks everything out. But me, yeah. I find that media, by and large, is a bunch of fucking idiots. They are. They are. I was a member of the KKK, so, you know. Oh, yeah. Actually, well, I was are. a white supremacist. That's what they that's, called me. Yeah, that's what they called you in, in your yeah. trial. Yep. But let me tell you, I can, I can honestly say this without being a total dick. You are not a member of the KKK, and you're definitely not a white supremacist. Uh, thank you. Exactly. No. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> it's fucking stupid. He waited until he was a distance from the area before he tossed out the shoes and gloves that he had worn while committing the murder. Then he went straight to one of the branches of Christopher's bank and took approximately 200 pounds from the man's account. Yep. I think that's the max because I see that number a lot throughout this. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That makes sense because like here... most it's three, yeah. Uh, mine's set a little bit higher than that. I'm trying to think... Well, no, originally before I set my daily hire it was 500 on mine oh that you could withdraw from the atm yeah oh okay or or even spend in a day without calling to get authorization okay because yeah because um standard is 300 dollars from an atm and 2500 dollars a day yeah you want to know how i found that bullshit out because you did it no i was down at a freaking guitar center i'm getting ready to buy a fucking like two three thousand dollar piece of equipment and i went okay here's my car declined huh and it, they declined your card i'm all what? Yeah. I'm calling right now because I know that there's fucking plenty of money. In yeah, there. that's and, happened to me before. Yeah, yeah. And they go, oh, we, you can only spend up to $500 a day and pull out so much out of a fucking ATM machine. And I'm like, uh, no, motherfuckers. Let's put that up a little bit because I'm trying to yeah. buy this piece of equipment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, because I tried to make a $3,000 purchase one time with the card and it declined. I'm like, that makes no sense. And then I called the bank and I'm like, okay, I don't have enough time for this. Let me go get a check. <laughs> on May 30th of 93 One of Christopher's friends Went over to his flat And found his lifeless body They immediately notified authorities Which I hope that if y'all find my lifeless bodies You guys do the same thing Don't be looking at it going ha, 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 His just butt's say, in the air We're gonna, we're gonna party first and then call uh, Hold on hold on put his ass in the air Get a picture get a picture <laughs> Make it look like he's 69 And with a teddy bear Yeah or something <laughs> When law enforcement officials arrived on the scene, they saw the way Christopher's body was displayed. 
they again just assumed he had been involved in some sort of sex game that had gone terribly wrong. Yes. They didn't even consider that Peter and Christopher's murders were even linked. Yep. Because And it goes back to throwaway people. Yep. Hookers, gay, and minorities. And poor people. And homeless, yeah. Yeah, poor people, you know. And that yep. poor people encompasses white, black, Asian, no matter what. Yeah. <clears throat> Those are throw- Nobody gives a shit, except for, and I will say it a million times, Rochester, New York PD. Oh, yeah. They, were, they are always on it like blue bonnet. You fuck with somebody in Rochester... And if they they, they start they'll, they'll start sniffing right now. Mm, one hooker died, or mm, this person over here kind of died, and then like they, they're they're gonna swarm on you. You're yeah. screwed. Yeah, I mean if there's more than one murder of like the same victimology, they are on it. Yeah, I'm impressed with them always. Yeah, every time we do a story involving them. Yeah. After Colin killed Christopher, it wasn't very long before his murderous thirst became so intense he had to go hunting again. Again, one would think that since his first cooling off period lasted approximately two months, this this one would last, you know, at, at least one, right? Yep. That makes sense? Yep. Well, those who thought that are very, very wrong. Very. This time, he was trolling for another victim in less than one week. Yep. On June 4th of 93, Colin was back at the Colherney Pub. Yep. It's ridiculous calling it that. <laughs> Looking to land his third victim. This time he was approached by a 35-year-old Perry Bradley the Third. Wow, he sounds proper. Yeah, well, yeah. Hi, I'm it, Perry Bradley the Third. You'll see why in the next two sentences, but yeah. <laughs> Perry's father was a member of the United States Congress. That's why he's got that fucking name. Okay, yep. that makes perfect sense to yep. me. With his little white ascot going on and yeah, okay, pretty much swapped here. He was just on an extended vacation in the United Kingdom from Texas, where he was a successful businessman. Yep. Shortly after Perry approached Colin in the, in the pub, they were headed back to the apartment uh, he was subletting in the Kensington district. Kensington. Is that Kensington? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. There's an end there. There, oh, there is. God, I need those new glasses to arrive. <laughs> Fuck. Should have just gone to LensCraft to see if they could have made him right there. They, yeah, you'd have had him within a couple weeks. Eh, same with where yeah. I ordered him from. On the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea, located in London Center, because my name is Peter Bradley III. Perry Bradley III. Perry. Yep. Jesus Christ. Like, that name is so Republican. And I'm a Republican myself, by the right, way. Right, right. Well, in Texas, yeah. That is very Texas It's almost like Republican. a Texas oil air, right? Right. Like, that name there, like, yeah. automatically screams out Bentley to me. <laughs> <laughs> so not long after they arrived, Colin asked Perry uh, if, for their foreplay, he could tie him up. Which makes sense. We kind of yep. saw that one coming, right? Pretty much, yeah. So now we're going to switch things up a little. Perry hesitated since he had never really liked engaging in BDSM play. However, when Colin told him it was the only way that he was able to achieve an erection, Perry conceded. He's like, okay, if that's what gives you your heart on, I'll take one for the team. Colin told him to lie on the bed face down. And once Perry did it, Colin switched up his modus operandi just a little. This time, he wrapped a noose around the victim's neck, and he tightened it enough to be painful and ordered Perry to hand over his ATM card and his PIN number. Yep. Now, at first, Perry struggled and refused to comply. 
at that point, Colin said that if he didn't do as, uh, as he was told, he would be, quote, tortured with a cigarette lighter. And we know where that goes. He's, yeah. already, he's already cooked someone else's nuts with a cigarette lighter, <laughs> true, Perry. True, true that. Just, you're going to die anyway. Give that yeah. shit up. Yeah. Well, Perry was really scared. However, rather than just hand over his ATM card, he told Colin he would just take him to the bank and withdraw some money for him. Mm-hmm. Colin stated this was not an option, thus forcing Perry to hand over his ATM card with the pin, which is a smart move. Yep. You know, you're, you're still controlling the situation. Yeah. After that, Colin told Perry to lay back down and go to sleep, insisting enough. Interesting. Inter- interesting enough. God damn. Things blurry. Interesting enough. Perry did just that. It was while his victim was sleeping that Colin chose to kill him. Ever so slowly, he began to make the noose tighter until Perry stopped breathing. Once he was dead, Colin took a doll and laid it on Perry's lifeless body. Yep. So, after killing Perry, Colin made sure to complete his uh, standard ritual. He systematically searched the apartment then went around again to get rid of any trace that would indicate that he had been there. Early uh, the following morning, he slipped out the door with the 100 pounds he had found in Perry's things and headed straight to the ATM so he could get another 200 pounds. Yeah. Now, I wasn't able to find out how long it took for Perry's body to be found. All I read in the various reports was that when the authorities arrived on the scene, they once again thought the death was the result of sex games gone wrong. And they never once thought to link Peter and now Christopher's death to Perry's. Right. Okay. I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, by the way. When it came to not linking the first two murders, but come on, really? Yeah. This is 1993 by then, and the world was well aware that serial killers were out there. Hello, yeah. 1990s, London police force. I'm not a detective, but here's how it works. Yep. All right, you guys ready? One suspicious death assumed to be an accident. Okay, I get it. I yep. get it, by the way. Two suspicious deaths within two months of one another. Both of the deceased dying in a similar fashion and the last and last seen at the same location okay maybe it's a possibility maybe you know, okay could be coincidence right yep three suspicious deaths with two months separating death 1 and 2 and six days separating death 2 and 3 similar deaths and all three of the deceased were last seen in the same location Maybe it's time to call Scotland Yard. You have a fucking serial killer, I mean, it's London. Like obviously here. I mean, what what more does Mister Ireland need? A big yeah. flashing freaking neon sign. And it's not like he was doing it in different areas. You know, he did it all in London. Yeah, all right around the same fucking club. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you know what? It's I, the, why they didn't link any of them is beyond me. It's just yeah. god damn. Well, you know, they're probably sitting there thinking they're they're, they're gay. We don't care. Yeah, pretty much. I think that's exactly what it was. So after Colin murdered Perry, he was sure the press would start talking about there being a serial killer on the loose in London. He couldn't figure out why there wasn't any publicity and now began to grow very frustrated. (laughs) Yep, yep. His New Year's resolution wasn't just to be a serial killer. No, 
He wanted to be a famous serial killer. Right, exactly. Obviously, he hadn't made it clear to the authorities that all three victims were connected. Yep. Well, he would just have to do something about that now, wouldn't he? So, it was only three days after Colin killed Perry before he was on the hunt again. Yeah, three days. You boys and girls want to guess where he went for his uh, fourth victim? Let's get into it. <laughs> on June 7th of 93, Colin returned to the same pickup spot, the Colherney Pub. Yep. It didn't take him long to hook up with 33-year-old sheltered, sheltered housing complex warden named Andrew Collier. The two men had left the pub and went to Andrew's flat in the Dalston area of East London located in the borough of Hackney. Andrew didn't hesitate to let Colin handcuff him yep. to the bed. He was like, yeah, no, that's my, yep. that, that's my, that's my jam. Yeah, that, that's my jam. Let's do this. Yep. Once, once his victim was defenseless, he demanded for Andrew to give him his bank card and pin number. However, the man flat out refused to do so. Colin got pissed, dude. Yeah. Like, he's really pissed. Yeah, he was like, don't yeah. fuck with me. Even with the man's total reluctance, uh, you know, he got so pissed that he wound up strangling him to death with a noose. Yep. Just, I'm done. Yep. You're going to die, right? After that, he searched the apartment for any valuables that Andrew might have. While Colin was going through the victim's stuff, he found that Andrew was HIV positive and hadn't disclosed that to him. That's two in a row. Yeah, well, yeah, pretty much two. I mean, two out of his victims, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Oh, yeah, not two in a row, two out of his victims. So, you know what, Andrew? You got to come in, man. He was so infuriated, they returned to the man's lifeless body and proceeded to inflict some anti-mortem torture. That means he's dead. Colin took a cigarette lighter and uh, set about burning Andrew's body in several spots. Then he turned to the man's cat and strangled it to death. Aw, dude, I had respect for you until you fucked with the, with the uh, yeah, animal. Yeah, well, wait till it does next, so yeah. Like he did with Peter, Colin decided to humiliate Andrew. He placed a condom uh, on the victim's penis and then did, it, did the same thing to his cat's tail. After that, he situated the cat on Andrew's torso. Yep. That's fucked up. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, but wait till... Yeah, keep going. <laughs> but wait. He wasn't finished. Ah, Billy Mays. Yeah, but wait, there's, there's more. more. Yep. He had to make sure that his victim was thoroughly uh, compromised and humiliated when his body was discovered. Colin forced the cat's mouth open and wrapped it around Andrew's penis then he placed the cat's uh, condom uh, in case tail in Andrew's mouth. Yeah, to make it look like they were in a 69. Yeah. Jesus. Creative. Very. Sick. Well, you and creative. I both watched a YouTube video where the guy said it was probably the first time his dick had been in a pussy. So. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> that's a that that's from Deadbug Says. Yeah, exactly. I love that guy's YouTube channel. I got to admit. He left the flat during the rush hour the following morning, making sure to take the mug he had used and the 70 pounds he discovered during his search of and, and cleanup the night before. Yep. Still, man, don't fuck with the cat. Yeah. 
When the authorities arrived on the scene and saw how Andrew's body was displayed, they finally made a connection with at least two of the murders. After all, both crime scenes were staged in a similar manner. Huh? They found a blue. They found a paw print. Exactly. There's a Blue's Clues moment right yep. here for the for the cops. Yep. For the coppers. Yeah. The two murders they linked together were Peter Walker and Andrew Collier. Here are the clues that indicated both men were killed by the same person. At both crime scenes, their unknown killer had used condoms in a strange way. Peter had them shoved up his nostrils and his throat, and down his throat, and Andrew's one condom was on the, uh, the deceased and the other was on his cat. Yep. Both crime scenes had similar staging. Peters had two stuffed teddy bears arranged in a 69 position, while Andrew had him in a 69 uh, position with his kitty cat. Yep. Still not right, man. <laughs> you lose bonus points with me, uh, you know, Colin, because yeah. you fucked with the cat. Exactly. Just don't do that shit. Dini would attack his ass. My cat's badass, man. Dude, your cat is like, she's vicious. She's silent killer. That's what she yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. After they linked these two murders to one another, they began to wonder if there was a serial killer loose in London. Hmm. Hello? You only have four corpses in the morgue that, you know, have a whole lot in common. Even a blind man, honestly, could be able to connect these two together. <laughs> I'm not lying. Yeah. Yeah. They'd be like, um, I'm, I'm blind and retarded, but I'm pretty sure that these four motherfuckers yep. are all related to each other as far as a killer. Yep. Pretty much. And, and the bobbies are sitting there going, we don't think so. They don't look old enough, and they're yeah. just gay. Yes. Law enforcement officials began to search their database to determine uh, if there was any other murders in the greater London area that were similar in nature. They also discovered that their own suspect wasn't as careful as uh, w- when he had murdered Andrew. Yeah. They managed to lift some fingerprints that they found off of a window frame that didn't match the victims. Yeah, I later found out it was one fingerprint. Oh, when they found out that those prints matched Collins perfectly. Yeah, a little later, yeah. Five days later, Collins decided it was time to do a little self-publicity. After all, what could go wrong with that, right? Right. I mean, that's it's a great plan. Yeah. And I, I got to admit, everything's worked out good so far. So I'm thinking he's going to plan this shit out really good. So let's do her. Yep. Apparently, when he was thoroughly researching the methods of notorious serial killers, he left out two of the most infamous ones that drew attention to themselves with letters and messages that wound up leading to their capture. Yep. The first one, of course, being David Berkowitz, a.k.a. the son of Sam. Yep. Arrested on August 10th of 1977 when he killed 20-year-old Alexander Esu and 18... Esau. Is that Esau? Yeah. That doesn't even look like an Esau. Yeah. yeah I couldn't it, remember well, the name. I only so. know it's Esau because it's Jacob's twin brother in the Bible is Esau. So, yeah. I saw Esau. We saw. <laughs> An 18-year-old Valentina. You want to give this one a set? Suriani. Thank you. On April 17th of 1977, he left with a handwritten letter on his... Uh, he left a handwritten letter on the bodies. The letter was intended for the NYPD Captain Joseph Borelli. Yep. Personally, and was signed Son of Sam. In the letter, he left a warning of future murders by saying he would be back unless he was stopped. Quote, as bang, 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 ugh. Yep. <laughs> I, I saw the letter. I saw the note, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So and it'll be, on the, it'll be in the blog, but yeah, oh, that's exactly what it said. Then, of course, 
Uh, on May 30th, 1977, Jimmy Breslin, a, com- a columnist for the Daily News, received a handwritten letter in the mail. On the back of the envelope, the sender wrote the following words. Blood and family, darkness and death, absolute depravity. 44? Point 44. Yeah, point 44. 44 caliber, caliber yeah. killer. Yeah. The letter itself was signed, Son of Sam. Yep. And, of course, Richard Ramirez. Yep. The second one being Richard Ramirez, a.k.a. the Night Stalker. That's in Los Angeles. San Francisco. And Los Angeles. Was it in L.A. too? Yeah. Oh, okay. It was, yeah. He functioned around L.A. Ah. He was arrested on August 31st of 85. Ramirez would leave messages for his, uh, for his authorities at his crime scenes. The message... The messages were usually written in the victim's own lipstick. He drew occult symbols like the inverted pentagram on the wall, things like that, right? Right. Those soon became known as the killer's signature. Yep. So Colin decided it was about time that the King, the Kensington Police Force learned that there were four men in their area who had been murdered by the same killer. On June 12th of 93, law enforcement officials in Kensington received a phone call. Hello? Who's there? Will you take a collect call from a serial killer? <laughs> sure. <Right>. Why not? <laughs> Billy, come here and listen to this. I think it's a serial killer. <laughs> yeah. The man on the other end of the line informed them that he didn't just have two victims. In fact, he was responsible for the death of four. Then the caller told them that they had better find him before he killed another man. Yeah, Son of Sam. Yeah, that's Son of Sam 100%. <laughs> Jesus yep. Christ. He almost did him verbatim. Almost, yeah. That's, you know, he's losing points with me because of creativity. I mean, he was really creative before, but this is just, this is weak. Oh, yeah. Weak, Colin, weak. After he hung up from that call, he placed another one. That This time, Colin called the authorities in Battersea. Yep. I got that right. Cool. He wanted to know if they were, quote, were uh, interested in the murder of Peter Walker. He also asked them if they were, uh, why they quit investigating the man's death. Before he hung up, he said uh, he would kill again, as I have always dreamed of committing the perfect murder. You know, and pretty much he has. I was going to say, I, I was just going to say the same thing verbatim. Yeah. Up until now, he really has. Up until he, you know, left a fingerprint behind. Yeah. Dude thought that shit out, right? Yeah. You know, a little drinky pool of water. Oh, never mind. I was like, what are you talking about? Then dawned on me. Yeah. Got it. <clears throat> the same night that Colin reached out to two law enforcement agencies, he went on the prowl for his next victim. You guessed it. He went back to the Coherney Pub yep. and met 41-year-old Maltese chef uh, who who liked to wear leather clothes named Emmanuel Spiretti. Spiteri. Spiteri? Yeah. Eh, whatever. You, you, you like, transposed the T and the R, but that's okay. I probably did. Like I said, it's... I'm, I know, I dude. need those glasses bad, man. After the two men hooked up, they took several trains to get to Emmanuel's flat in Catford District. In the Catford District of the Southeast London Borough of Lewisham. Yep. It's a messed up name. Lewisham. <laughs> but that's okay. I wonder if that's honey coated or <laughs> <I> smoked. <know. laughs> 
<laughs> Colin barely waited for Emmanuel to shut the door behind him before he handcuffed him to the bed with handcuffs. Well, duh. He's going to use handcuffs. If he's handcuffed to the bed, he used handcuffs. Right. He didn't use fucking silk ties. Then, as the last two murders, he slipped a noose over the victim's neck. Once he tightened the knot enough to let Emmanuel know, he meant business. Yeah. Colin demanded that he was given his ATM card and his PIN number. His victim handed it over immediately. He's like, hey, take it, dude. It's cool. Yeah, And dude. Colin didn't waste another minute before he increased the tension on the noose until Emmanuel stopped breathing. He stuck around the flat to watch a little bit more of, you know, like some TV before he went through and cleaned up his cold cleanup process. Yep. Early the following morning, he quietly slipped out the door and seeming, seamlessly blended with the standard rush hour traffic. Which doesn't surprise me considering the first in the first episode, we learned how plain he was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. And, yeah. you know, like I said, if, you, if you're going to work, especially in the morning. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I, there was nothing about him that stood out. <clears throat> you're not going to notice somebody who's, you know, who's on the bus. Yeah. Or on a train. Exactly. You're more worried about your own shit, man. Unless you're causing a big scene, like if he if he came in with like a giant purple mohawk and started exactly yelling like at something people, something noticeable, yeah, yeah, then they'd be like, no, no, we saw him right there, but yeah. a real plain person, yeah, he's playing right in. Collins uh, started a fire in Emmanuel's ba- uh, bedroom. His motivation for the intended arson was to burn the entire block down and to either cause more murders or enough publicity to get the press to notice him. However. His efforts failed yep. when the fire extinguished itself before it even spread through the roof. Yep. It was just a little brush fire. <laughs> I bet you that's what he called burning that pubic hair. I know, right? <laughs> a little bush fire. A little bush fire. Yeah. <clears throat> By this point, if we don't take Peter's murder into consideration in the span of 17 days, he had killed four men was a similar modus operandi. However, he still hadn't come close to keeping his New Year's resolution. He decided he had to take steps to set a record, uh, set the record straight for himself. Yep. The day after he murdered Emmanuel on June 13th, Colin picked up the phone and called the authorities in London once again. And this time, he told them that they could find his next victim at the scene of a fire in South London. Then, good old Colin informed the officer that he was speaking to, quote, uh, he, he was speaking to that, quote, he had read many books on serial killers and that to reach a serial killer class- classification by the FBI, the killer had to kill at least five victims. Actually, if you uh, go. No, wait for my side note. It's there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I was just going on with this. So I was going to. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, actually, if he was going by the FBI standards, uh, he was off by two. Yep. He had he only had to really murder three people to be a serial killer. And yep. didn't they lower that to two? Yeah, that's the next. Th- yeah, that's oh, okay. the side note. Yeah, that's a side note. <laughs> Here in the United States, there are some individual states. I know that this is uh, the rule of thumb in New York for sure that classify a serial killer if they have two victims with the same or similar victimology. The killer dispatches uh, their victim with the same or similar modus operandi, and uh, there's a cooling off period 
at least four to five days between kills. If a person meets the first two criteria, yet has a shorter cooling off period, they are usually classified as a spree killer or thrill killer. Yeah. So after he made sure the law enforcement officials knew that he was truly a serial killer, Colin then... uh, I'm sorry. Colin told them that, quote, he could now stop as he had killed five times. Yep. He followed that up by adding that he that he committed the murders, quote, just to see if I could if it could be done and would probably not do it again. Well, two days later, Emmanuel's landlady found his body in the flat and she immediately notified authorities. Well, what? of course, well, you're not going to sit there and go. They didn't know where the scene of the fire was cuz the fire had extinguished itself. So Right, and it's not like you're going to go and kick the body going, "Hey, yeah, are you going to yeah. pay rent this month? You look dead." <laughs> like, "I'm just here to collect the rent." Okay. That's right. That's Get right. up. Get up. You're late. You're late. <laughs> After the London authorities received Colin's telephone calls and with the discovery of Emmanuel's body, Law enforcement officials asked the press and the media to get involved to help them find the killer. Yep. The lead investigator, Detective Superintendent Ken John, that's kind of a... Yeah, two first names. It's a cartoon name. That's yeah. That's what that is. Well, it wasn't Greg, what's his name, that we love so oh, much over there. Then, yeah. They should have gotten Greg and that judge on, on, on yep. Colin. Like, yep. That, that, that shit would have ended, like, yesterday. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they started uh, by gathering the various media outlets for a press conference. That evening, Detective John went on the air and began a massive publicity campaign to inform the public that over the last few months, <coughs> they responded to five reports of suspicious death. Although they had been actively investigating each case individually, they were never able to turn up any solid leads. And I do not believe that they were actively investigating shit. No, I don't think so either. They're yeah. like, hey, the, the gays died. We don't give a shit. Yeah. Then he pretty much said that recent developments had led them to reasonably suspect that five homosexual men had been murdered and were linked as a series, both psychological, pathologically and forensically. He told the public that investigators on the case had already linked the death of Peter Walker to the death of Andrew Collier. Now that they could say with great certainty that they could add the deaths of Christopher Dunn and Perry Bradley the third and Emmanuel Spitrin. Spiteri. Spiteri. Yeah. The wait. list of victims. Yeah. I mean, he didn't like really come out and say that their uh, reason, you know, their recent development was a personal phone call. No shit. Huh? <laughs> but, you know, I think that there's a lot to be said for honesty. If, if he if cops would just come out and be honest, like, OK, so here's the deal. We didn't think these suckers were linked at all. Yeah. And then we got a call from a dude and he gave us all the right information. And um. Yeah. He told us he's a serial killer. And yeah, we, he we pretty much him. said it. Let's let's find him. So, you know, help a brother out. Yeah. After telling the nation that they had a serial killer on the loose in Greater London in the Greater London area, he looked directly in the camera as if he were trying to address each and every It's view- supposed to be viewer. Er, viewer I got individually. It. 
That's when he made a direct appeal to the gay community as a whole to stay vigilant and always be aware of their surroundings. Detective John asked the community to limit their nightly activities until the killer was apprehended. However, if they still chose to go out on town, he told them to make sure that they let their friends and family know where they're going to be. And I actually recommend that for anybody who's single and dating today. Oh, yeah, totally. Gay, straight, doesn't matter. Yeah, every time I go out on, you know, like an app date, I always tell everybody where I'm going. Yeah, oh, totally, man. And I always have that find my phone activated on my phone, so. Yes, because there's some fucking freaky people out there, man. There are. He asked them to avoid situations where they... uh, where they would be alone with a stranger. But he had no authority to prevent that from happening. So he asked them to tell someone that they trusted the name of who that they who they'd be with uh, in the event something drastic happened. Detective John also said that one of their uh, one of their theories was that the unknown suspect might either be HIV positive or full-blown case of AIDS. Yeah. If that were the case, he speculated that the man was seeking revenge from the person who infected him by killing other homosexuals uh, as kind of like surrogates. Yeah. Which we've seen, so. Oh, yeah. No, we've seen that many a time. Yeah, totally. And it's it's a it's a good theory. Yeah. Because of the two guys who yeah. had the HIV. Yeah. Two days after his initial press conference on June 17th of 93, Detective John stood in front of the camera once again. No, he wasn't there to tell Londoners that uh, it was safe for them to go out of their houses and play around and and all that good stuff, right? Yeah, no. This time, he looked straight into the camera. He was trying to speak directly to the unknown suspect who murdered five guys. Yep. Not the burger place either, like five no. gay guys. No. Which is also not a burger place. Five gay guys is not. No, it's not. Five guys, yes. Five guys, yes. Yeah. He told the killer, uh, whoever he was, to give himself up. During this direct appeal through the press, Detective John said all he wanted was to speak to the man and get him the help he needed. Lies. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure our boy's not going to believe that. Yeah. He's a little smart. Then on June 19th, during London's Gay Pride Festival in 93, London officers attended so that they could hand out flyers to the 50,000 and some odd people who were out there and celebrating, you know, yep. saying we're queer, we're here, get used to it. That's right. I say let your rainbow flag fly. That's right. Let your freak flag fly. Damn right. They asked everyone to look uh, that took the flyer uh, from their hands to come forward with any information that they might have. It didn't matter how significant In, yeah. or insignificant that they was, that the, the information was, um, you know, it might be the key of blowing the case wide open. Which is true. Yeah, it could be something small. Like, hey, it was really weird. Like, out of Emmanuel's apartment one day, I saw this guy with brown hair, a little short-statured yeah. guy walk out of there, and this is what he looked like. Right. You know, which, honestly, if somebody saw somebody walking out of my place... Yeah. It's pretty insignificant. Right. But that might be the key that breaks open whoever exactly, killed me. Exactly. Puff, puff. Puff, puff. Puff, puff, pass. 
Now that the Greater London Police Department was actively searching for a serial killer, they decided it was time that they sought some advice from experts in criminology and forensic pathology. Psychology. Psychology, yeah. I should know that. God damn it. I know. I was going to say. I corrected it at the end. I, you kind of did. <laughs> the way they were investigating, or perhaps not investigating this case, might lead people to believe that the entire department had a bipolar disorder. Oh, and yeah. I agree with that. Totally. <laughs> In the beginning, it was almost painfully obvious that they didn't have, that they didn't give a shit about the fact that five victims in their morgue who were obviously murdered by someone. Yeah. Then, after the killer told them that they uh, were looking for him, they went to the other extreme in their investigation. And they it's went, true. Yeah, and it's true. They're like, we don't care. They're just fags. Yeah. And, uh, and now they're sitting there going, we need to take care of this shit because yeah. all the gays are dying. Yeah. But it's illegal to do BDSM, which is yeah. stupid as shit. Precisely. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, in a case such as this, it's not uncommon for law enforcement officials to seek the advice of at least one, maybe two experts in the field of psychology. That wasn't the case in 1993, Greater London Police Detectives. In fact, they had many experts. As, as many. They, yeah, that's what I said, didn't I? No, you said many. Oh, <laughs> they had as many uh, experts as they had victims. Yep. First, they turned to not one, but two forensic psychologists on separate occasions. Then, they either didn't understand what those experts said, or they didn't completely trust their opinion because they reached out to uh, to three more people. <laughs> on separate occasions, they consulted with two different criminal psychologists. Finally, to make sure that they were clear. <laughs> I know, right? They called the FBI special agent uh, who, who led, who was a special agent serial killer specialist. Yeah. To hear what he had to say. Now, okay. This tells me those officers at the time must have been retarded. You know what? Well, and I think a lot of it is, is because the first two didn't agree with his original theory. Maybe. That could be it. But, you know, when, when, when you have all these psychologists going, hey, this is what it's about. And you're like, yeah. I don't think, I think you're lying. Let's go to a third. This is what it's all about. No, let's go to a fourth. No, this is what it's all about. That's what everybody else said. You must be lying. Let's go to a fifth. Yeah. Jesus. Let's, let's go Let's go talk to a serial killer specialist because he, he knows. Here's the thing, man. When you get an expert on a subject, like for me, I'm, I'm musically inclined. That's what I do. You know, so if you come to me yeah. seeking my advice... That means that you don't have those answers. I'm going to give you the answers. Pretty much take me. Get a second opinion. That's fine. But five fucking people. Yeah, right. That's overkill. Expert number one. The first person they talked to was forensic psychologist and professor, Dr. Mike Berry. Detective John wanted Dr. Berry to develop a psychological profile of their killer. In his profile, Dr. Berry stated that the killer was fueled by by violent fantasies. Yeah. But each murder was never as good as the fantasy he had. Therefore, he was driven to kill again. Yes. Contrary to what Detective John speculated, because he's not a fucking expert, in his initial press conference, Dr. Berry said that he firmly believed that the killer was not HIV positive and was not committing the murders out of an act of revenge. True. But she's spot on with that. Expert number two. 
I truly think that Detective John turned to another for a forensic psychologist after hearing Dr. Barry's profile because he didn't like the fact the expert contradicted his theory. Yeah. This time, he concluded that the founding father of the American Academy of Psychiatry and the Law, forensic psychologist Dr. Jonas Rappaport, basically um, concurred with Dr. Barry and what he had to say. However, Rappaport added something else that was important to the case. He said that it was his, quote, belief that the killer was not himself a homosexual, but possessed as a gay man in or uh, posed as a gay man in order to attract his victims. In fact, he was well organized, probably of lo- of a large was well organized, probably of a large building build and physically strong, which made him confident in his ability to overpower his victims. Yeah. Pretty spot on, right? Pretty. Expert three, number five. Three through five, I guess. Uh, Number three through five, okay. After two leading experts in forensic psychology basically told Detective John exactly the same thing, he thought he should talk to three more experts. This is exactly what I said earlier. Yeah, totally. Criminal psychologist and founder of modern-day psychology criminal profiling in the United Kingdom, Paul Britton. Co-creator of modern criminal profiling, leading some crime scene uh, analysis and former forensic psychologist of the Michigan Department of Corrections, Richard Walter. Former FBI special agent who coined the term serial killer in the 1970s, Robert Rassler. Rassler is also known as one of the FBI agents who initially developed the concept of psychological profiling to to apprehend criminals. The report I found didn't reveal what advice the last three experts gave to Detective John. However, since nothing was said about them disagreeing with Dr. Barry or Dr. Rappaport, I'm sure it's a safe bet to assume that uh, they concurred exactly what the, what, what they said. Yeah. And meanwhile, John's all, I, maybe I need another expert. <laughs> yeah. Because you disagreed with me. Yeah. Within a week of the detective, uh, Detective John, uh, when he used the media to speak directly to the killer, some witnesses came forward saying that they had some information that might be helpful. By that point, the authorities had released photos of the victims in the press. Apparently, when the witness uh, and or witness says saw a picture of Emmanuel Spiteri, they remembered seeing him with another man on the night the authorities said he was murdered. Right. Now, according to the witness or witness says they saw Emmanuel with an unknown male riding on a train going from Charing Cross to Hither Green. Right. On the night of June 13th, 1993, this is the description they gave to the cops. White male between the age of 30 and 40, about over six foot tall, no facial hair. He appeared to have a full face almost bordering on fattish. Dark hair, short cut, discolored dirty teeth. Well, that's discolored dirty teeth. That's most people in England. I was going to say, that's that's London proper. Yeah, that's, that's, that's England. Jesus Christ, man. Okay, I want to put something into context before I proceed. Traditionally, when the authorities don't know who their suspect is, 
they ask the public for help in making an identification. If they don't have an actual photograph or a still image from a video from video footage, they have to use other methods of, you know, kind of to let people know what to look for. Right. When potential eyewitnesses are able to provide a description, it makes it easier to get that information out to the masses. Okay, now stop here. I know. I read the oh, big fucking okay, sign. Okay, so, however, if a witness were to give this description for the suspect, okay, follow this description white male, five foot nine to six foot tall, approximately 230 pounds, blue eyes, bald head, goatee, inked arms, looking kind of like a rock star. I'm busted. God damn no, it. God Listen. damn it, I'm busted. Right. It still wouldn't point directly to, at the person they claim to have seen. Because even though you might think that was a pretty detailed description, it's still very generic when you think about it. In fact, most of you are thinking that I just described our very own illustrious host, Scott Alexander. However, I was being what I call generically descriptive. I might very well have been describing Scott. But then again, those same characteristics, because even though, I mean, they seem very descriptive, can be used to describe another famous oh, rock star. Yeah. Only this rock star is best known for being the rhythm guitarist and co-founder of the 80s metal thrash band Anthrax, Scott Anthrax! Ian. Because, I mean, even though you guys aren't built the same, the description fits you both. No, that's very, very true. Yeah. Except that I'm prettier. Way okay. prettier. <laughs> Sorry, Scott. I am. Yeah, so make, make a make, I mean, his goatee's fuller, and you know he's not—he's kind of more slender built, but he's still muscular. So, no, that's true. I'll give it that. Yeah. Okay, so rather than taking their chances by just releasing a generic description of the suspect, <clears throat> the eyewitnesses provided for them, the authorities decided to increase their odds with the use of modern technology. For the sake of time, we aren't going to get into the whole process right now, but. If you're interested in knowing the details, you can read about it uh, when we post the blog. Yeah. From the eyewitness description, the Greater London Police Department produced a composite using the electronic facial identification technique, or E-FIT. Yeah. Within, within minutes, they had a computer-generated likeness that would scientifically uh, that has been scientifically proven to be more efficient than a composite sketch. Yep. Can you fix that? It says after EFIT, and it says within minutes. Oh, okay. Minutes. I will fix my it. ADD, man. Yeah, my OCD rather. After the EFIT composite was generated, Detective John and his team began to use it in conjunction with the facial recognition program and try to, to try to locate the suspect on security footage. On, from the train. Mm -hmm. Approximately a week later, July 2nd, they were able to find CCTV footage, that's like your closed right. caption footage, of a man with a manual that looked very similar to the image generated by the EFIT. It was time for Detective John to call another press conference. Yeah. This time, he faced the cameras with, C, uh, with the CCTV image of the suspect and again stated that he was keeping, quote, the lines of communication open in the hopes that the killer would willingly come in for questioning. 
Within 24 hours from the release, from when the press conference aired, they received well over 40 calls to the tip line. Mm-hmm. Some of those calls even came from another man who reported seeing and or talking to the suspect at least once at the Colherney Pub around the time that the murders occurred. Yep. A little over two weeks later, on July 19th of 1993, Colin decided he would come forward. However, before you start thinking he pulled a Patrick Kearney, let me explain. If you don't understand that reference, go back and listen to episode 45 from August 27th of 2021. Right. And don't give me no shit about my love of Patrick Kearney, by the way. I will kick kick somebody square in the fucking cooter. That's right. When Kearney came forward to turn himself in... He and his male partner, not serial killing partner, okay, David Hill and him were just, they, they, they were lovers. That's right. And roommates. Walked right into the police station, pointed at their pictures on the wanted poster of the wall, and basically said, um, this is us. Yep, yep. We're, we're them. We're, we're, we're them. They weren't after fame and fortune and no. all that good shit. Um, they just wanted to kind of clear the air. And, you know, Patrick knew that it was time. It, it was either that or... He would be taking David down a dark road. Pretty much, yeah. That he didn't deserve. That's right. Colin wasn't that forthcoming, nor did he turn himself into the authorities. He did, however, go to his attorney's office. He was honest with his lawyer. Well, somewhat anyway. Colin was very forthcoming when he told his attorney that he and Emmanuel were with each other the night that he was murdered. He even admitted that he was the man on the CCTV photo being splashed all over the media. Yeah. Uh, Colin failed to tell his lawyer that he was the killer the police from the greater London area were looking for. Colin told his, uh, his lawyer that although he had, he had been with Emmanuel that evening and they had been riding the train together, that they had just gone over to the man's flat to hang out for a bit. Colin said that when he left to go home, there was another man there. Yeah. The other shooter on the grassy knoll. <laughs> That's right. Despite the fact that Colin was honest with the, uh, with two out of the three statements to his attorney, that was all it took. I guess Meatloaf was right when he sang the song. Two out of three ain't bad. Yeah. I love the meatloaf references. I know. I love meatloaf. So I'm so sad that he's gone. Yeah. Kind of made me sad too, man. Yeah. Actually, the authorities did arrest him just because he was the mysterious man with Emmanuel that night. They just combined that information with the fact that he his fingerprints had been lifted off of Andrew's window and were his. Yep. Detective John didn't need any other reason to throw Colin in jail on July 21st of 93. That's right. He was indicted for the murders, the murder of Andrew Collier. Within 48 hours, he received his second count of murder for killing Emmanuel Spiteri. He was quickly transferred to an HMP facility to await his trial. He continued to tell everyone who would listen that even those who weren't that, and even the ones that weren't, that yeah. he never killed anybody. The police had arrested an innocent man. It kind of makes me think of um, 
uh, um, 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 Billy Joel. I am an innocent yeah. man. That one? Yeah. Or Shaggy. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> so Colin was sitting in prison waiting to have his day in court. When on August 19th of 93, he stopped professing to be innocent and gave his confession. Yep. As he told the authorities, he was responsible for the victim's murders of the vicious murders of five homosexual men. He displayed absolutely no emotion. Yep. He divulged the explicit details in cold, calculating descriptions. Right. Colin was charged for the murders of Peter Walker, Christopher Dunn, Perry Bradley the Third, yep. Andrew Collier, and Emmanuel Spiteri at the Central Criminal Court of England and Wales, a.k.a. Old Bailey. Yeah, we've heard about that one a lot. Uh-huh. On August 20th. A trial never took place as he was sentenced by a judge that day to serve a life sentence for each of the murders he committed. Yep. So, let's get into some of his motives so we can wrap this sucker up. Yeah, this is a long there's episode. only two sections left that you have to read. Yeah. During Colin's detailed confession, he put an extreme emphasis on the four specific points. Number one, he was never under any the influence of any drug or alcohol at the time that he had committed the murders. He was perfectly sober. Yep. Two, he was not gay or bisexual. Despite having worked at a gay nightclub in Soho as a bouncer. Yep. Which makes sense. I've gone to a lot of gay bars and I'm not gay. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I've, I've gone gay bar hopping with my gay friends. Oh, so have I. The gay guys love me because when I have at least two shots of tequila, I have rhythm. <laughs> Three, he never removed his clothes or engaged in any form of sexual activity with his victims. During this point, he also said that he gained no sexual thrill from the murders. Which I believe. I believe that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He by no means, quote, held a grudge against the gay community. In fact, he added that he did not, quote, choose gay men as his victims simply because they were easy targets. That's why he chose them. They're, they're, they're easy. No, he said he didn't choose them that way. Oh, he didn't? No, he oh, didn't uh, choose them because they were easy oh, did targets. Not. No, he, uh, it goes on to say why. Okay. Yeah. This is one of the rare instances in which a serial killer revealed his motivations behind the murders. Colin told the authorities that as a result of his alleged brush the pet, you know brushes with pedophiles as an adolescent he had a repressed rage building inside of him in his own words he stated quote my anger was triggered by extreme male uh, deviance yeah deviancy yeah yeah deviancy Colin claimed that he chose his victims because he felt they were deviants, openly engaging in BDSM play. It was just a coincidence that they were all homosexuals as well. He stated that he was, quote, ridding the society of vermin. Yep. Well, that, and he desperately wanted people to view him as a, uh, you know, superior person. Yeah, he wanted to be famous. There's a distinct probability that Colin's claims are more truthful than one might expect. From a serial killer, at least. Yep. Expert criminologists have stated that they believe that he strategically staged his crime scenes by placing items related to childhood on the victim's bodies. 
Yeah. Well, think about it. Two stuffed teddy bears, the doll, and even the cat are all things associated with a person's childhood. By staging those items in compromising positions, it was symbolic of Colin's... Uh, Aberrance. I was going to read that. Oh, you and hesitated, so... Because I'm swallowing. Uh. <laughs> Shut up. Yep. Aberrance <laughs> at the loss of his innocence. Yep. After Colin was sentenced by a judge, he was transferred to the HM prison Wakefield. We've talked about that one before. In Wakefield, West Yorkshire, uh, that's one of England's Category A, or Supermax, male institutions. Reports, or perhaps lack of reports, during his incarceration there indicated he was a relatively unremarkable prisoner. In fact, it seems that it seems as uh, though the United Kingdom didn't hear about him again until 2012. Yep. On February 11th of 2012, Colin was in the prison's exercise yard when he fell. He was immediately sent to the prison's health care center to receive medical attention. The prison medical staff determined that he had fractured his hip. From that point, he had to use a Zimmer frame walker, which is a walker, or yep. a wheelchair to get around. On February 21st, Colin was found in his cell lying face down on the floor. Later that day, a spokesperson for the prison uh, issued this statement. Colin Ireland died at HMP Wakefield Healthcare Center today at 9.20 a.m. He is presumed to have di- to have died from natural causes. A post-mortem, which is an autopsy, boys and girls, will follow. As with all deaths in custody, the independent prisons and probation... Uh, what the fuck Ombudsman. Okay. Public... They're public just, advocates. You could just said public advocate. Okay, but you know his that? title was ombudsman, so I, I had care. to put that there. You could have said public advocate. That's yeah. like... A, what the fuck? They have ombudsman for all health care facilities. Well, they conducted the investigation. Yeah. Ombudsman. What the fuck? <laughs> the inquiry into Colin's death determined that there was no foul play that was involved. In fact, the coroner's office, uh, officer, Anthony Lancaster, reported that his death resulted from complications... From his hip fracture and pulmonary fibrosis. Yeah. A condition that causes scarring in a person's lungs over time. Right. And the rest is just, you know, my thoughts and theories on this case. But um, I do believe that he thought he was, you know, taking revenge on deviant behavior. Especially since they had just passed the law about BDSM play. Yeah, no, totally. I can I, I yeah. totally see where that's where that's coming from. Yeah. <laughs> you so, have anything you want to add or can no, I? No, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, this was an interesting case. It was. It was. Because I had different beliefs by reading some of the articles, but when I got in deeper, I mean, so it, deep. Shut up. It made sense. So. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this one. Yeah. All right. Remember, you can check us out at www.twistedbluellc.com, and you can see meet the band. So you can meet the Twisted Blue band. Uh, let's see. Send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs, just type in at Brutal Nation. This show's copyrighted 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved, and we will see you lovelies next week. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.